Are we uh, recording in multiple dimensions or? <laughs> yes. I wish. We are. What other okay. dimensions yeah. do you record in? I don't know. It just seemed like there were a lot of dimensions when we first, you know, jumped on the call oh. where we were, yeah, hearing each other in various permutations. Oh, I see. So. Yeah, there is a little bit of like a parallel Zencaster universe going on. <laughs> that, or sometimes, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's really weird. I wonder how many permutations of those Zencaster universes there are. Not sure. What hmm. um, Infinity. what are we talking about today? It's <laughs> <laughs> a really good question. Welcome to tentative. <laughs> so we have on our show today, Aaron May and J H Forster. Forster? Yeah, Forster. Okay, just want to make I sure. I bet people botcher that right. all the time, right? Yeah, it's Foster. hard to get. It's, it's, Forester. It gets pronounced all right. It's when you tell people they always want to put an extra R and an E in the middle. Yeah, um, I bet. When they spell yeah. it. So Forrester. it's a spelling that gets That's you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm also a. Um, my name has given me problems my whole my whole life. So I, I hear that with Jacqueline, it's hard to spell. But anyway, Aaron May and J H Forster of User Interviews. So Aaron May, you are the VP of Growth and Marketing, and J H, you are the VP of Product. Welcome. That is correct. Did you guys know that? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds correct, yes. <laughs> yeah, checks out. <laughs> We're so happy to have you on our on our show. Thanks. Fun to be here. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the guest pod thing is cool. I'm excited about it. Yeah, same. We've been having a lot, a lot of fun conversations this way. We have. One way we like to start off these conversations is, what have you all been working on? Uh, on the product side, we've been trying to grow out the team, so that's been a really big focus for me over the last, you know, two three months in terms of uh, hiring some product designers and hiring a product manager. Awesome. In addition to everything else we've been doing, that's been like the most you know novel thing. And and hiring during coronavirus has been an interesting experience. So, <laughs> do you want to plug your job listings before we go any further? I found everyone. Uh, my oh, last, uh, nice. The last hire started this week, uh, today, actually. So, um, Oh, my goodness. Or whenever this, September 28th, when I don't know when this will air. But um, it's a long process finding the right people to, to pull onto the team. So I'm um, happy to have gotten there. Yes. Wow. Congrats. This is the first time I've really wanted a soundboard to like throw out like an air horn or something. <laughs> so I'm going to make a note for doesn't future. Doesn't Zemcaster have something now? Yeah. Keeps talking Sound about effects. Yeah, yeah. On the top oh there. <laughs> oh, I don't have that. Uh, I've been asking Tom for sound effects for years. <laughs> <laughs> That's exciting. You mentioned um, it's been interesting hiring during this time. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I, can, I guess a couple things. Way more applicants than usual. Um, I think we, you know, user interviews has become a little more well known in that time. So I'm sure that's part of it as well. But I do think there are a lot of people who are talented and you know found themselves in unfortunate situations. Uh, mm-hmm. with, you know, a lot of companies having a downturn you know, earlier this year. So I think uh, that's that was one thing that stood out. And then, you know, it's one of those things like, I, I think there's always sensitivity around how you probe for, you know, maybe somebody having a gap on the resume or, or why they left their previous thing. And it just mm. felt like extra sensitive because, you know, you don't know if it was like the company went through a round of layoffs or something or if the person yeah. just left. And so I just, I was never quite sure how to, you know, ask about that type of stuff. Those were some of the main observations. Yeah. And how was it translating? Like, I assume like your your other process was in like at least one in person visit. No, we've so we're we're fully distributed teams. So we've always been doing the remote hiring uh, thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, which um, I think we've gotten down pretty well. I think the challenge for me is that it always just feels long, like from start to finish, compared to in person, where like maybe you have a phone screen, you like the person, 
and you carve out like a whole half day for them to come in and meet everybody. And then like, you know, at the end of that day, you try to make a decision sort of type, type of a thing. And just doing it remotely, it doesn't really make sense to, to mimic that. And so it's more of like you meet with somebody, day or two passes, you meet with the next person, day or two passes. So like, it feels like it kind of drags on for a little longer. But um, mm-hmm. I think we've gotten the hang of that for the most part. Oh, interesting. We found the same thing. A lot of our hiring process was remote even before the pandemic. And we were aiming to get everyone, the average of people through within 30 days. But that was still a challenge Mm -hmm. from first interview to hire. Yeah, yeah. I would always try to think we could get it close to like two weeks, but it never really ended up. It ended up being closer to the 30 days, I think, Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. Aaron, you have some open roles to plug, right? I do. I was going to say, I think it's hard, too, because... I think so many kind of business challenges, you can just put a stake in the ground and like, we're going to get this done in two months, damn it. And you know, (laughs) it might not be exactly what we want, but we'll get it done. But with hiring, it's like, well, we don't just need like a good customer or it's a lot, you know, you, you want to really like the person. And I think it sucks to be in the position of having to let someone go. And if you could have prevented it by hiring someone, you just had a a good objective sense was going to be successful you kind of have to wait to find someone you f- you feel good about that. So I think it always mm-hmm. takes longer than you want it to. But yeah, I'm hiring as well. I have someone starting next week I'm really excited about. He's going to be our second growth marketer um, focused mm-hmm. on you know paid media and website conversion rate optimization and things like that. And um, I have an open role for a content director. So someone to manage our content strategy as well as our content creator on the team already. That's awesome. Awesome. So it sounds like like both of you are onboarding new employees and either already are or will be. Do you have like a set process for doing that remotely? Because that I imagine could be even harder than hiring remotely. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about this recently, Aaron. I think it's one of those things where our hiring to date has been kind of like, you know, in quick burst and then like we plateau for a bit and then a burst. And so like it hasn't been like regular enough where we get into like it's worth really optimizing the onboarding stuff. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like some people are starting Mm. and so we scramble to get it back up to speed and then we forget about it for a few months and then people start. And so like I think as we get a little bigger and the hiring starts to get into a little bit more of like a recurring groove, um, hopefully we can like button some of that stuff up. But um, I think it's just like the start and stop or the on off nature has been has made it tough to get like totally dialed in. And I think you and I both are sort of allergic to over-documentation, right? Where it's just enough process for the job to be done. And so we're trying to figure out what that that is so we don't have to rethink about the same things over and over again. But it's not this super heavy, bureaucratic, kind of cookie-cutter feeling thing for everyone mm-hmm. that joins the company. So I think it's gone pretty well for me in the past. But I'm definitely going to look back over because I haven't hired a new person in maybe a half a year. Mm. Yeah, look look back over and talk to some of the newer folks who've joined recently and what went well and didn't go well for them. Yeah, but we found a couple of things. Like I think as it happens, right, when like Slack is your office, it becomes kind of like lots mm. of little like inside things that take some time to pick up on. And so we started to like mm-hmm. make a little bit of a guide of like all these custom emojis, like this is how we use them. And these are like some of the channels or just like kind of the norms and stuff. So people yeah. can feel like a part of the crew a little faster. And we have on the product side been trying to document some of our processes in a more explicit way just for everybody to kind of create more alignment. And um, I think that's been helpful with a few new people as well. So there's like something for them to actually read through and, and kind of see our opinions on things and how we do some stuff, which has been good. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Writing takes a long time. <laughs> we keep, we, yeah, uh, it does. 
uh, Bob, our CTO and myself have been, have been doing a lot of the first drafts of stuff. And, uh, I keep being like, Oh, just like set aside a half hour and like knock out the first draft. And then it's like two and a half hours later. I'm like, Oh man, yep. writing's hard. So I know. it's not the writing that gets you. It's the keeping it up to date over time. No one yeah. wants to do that. Yeah. The thinking yeah. too gets in there. Yeah. <laughs> gets in the way. Where does that documentation live? So for the product stuff, we've been doing it actually in a GitHub repo, mm-hmm. specifically because I like having the PMs and the designers know enough Git and stuff to you know be able to mess with things. And I think it's a good kind of training ground for them if they want to make edits to like do it in a low stakes way that's not like the you know the production yeah, code base. Definitely. And uh, then we can you know we can have it thrown up on a simple URL that's like you know we can hit from anywhere so people can find it easily. And then you know it's a normal comment flow for the engineers and stuff like that. So it's worked pretty well. Maybe a little bit more overhead than is needed for some stuff. Like I know the rest of the company uses like Confluence for a lot of documentation mm. and stuff like that, which is you know gotcha. a little simpler. But we've you know we've been happy with the GitHub repo. Yeah, we use that as well for our our, our, our playbook and for our handbook. And that's the same thing. It's a really nice intro to get in like very low stakes way for like newcomers as well. So, and like just having the ability to create issues on something and kind of get the whole company in on like a discussion is also very, very helpful. So gets gets pretty sweet for that. That's one of the ways that we've helped combat the like, how does this documentation get stale is like Mm -hmm. having everyone contribute to it has been helpful. Sure. Yeah, so we're going to try to figure out, I think, something in that in that spirit of like maybe just owners of different sections or just encourage people to update stuff as they point something out that's out of date or whatever, um, you know, TBD on that front. But I like that idea. Yeah, I think like definitely it's it's tough to maintain ownership of things. I know like there's tons of issues that I probably put in there that I probably opened maybe like six plus months ago that... I don't really remember until I have a, m- a moment to look and I'm just like, oh, right. I should keep following up on this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of get lost pretty quickly. Distributed ownership never really works either, right? Like we've been trying to kind of say like, we all own this and we all keep it up to date. But I think yeah. at the end of the day, we're going to have to probably be like, hey, Kyle, like, why don't you update yeah. this page? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think it's mm-hmm. going to have to be a little bit more specific at some point. Yeah. Just like assign people. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That certainly happens. I think Chad, our CEO, has done a pretty good job of like keeping everyone honest. And so it's it's probably him owning the entire thing and just prodding people who have either opened up issues or started on the thing to like continue mm-hmm. pushing it forward or stop. And we have a, like a digest, a weekly digest called Serious Business. And it's just like <laughs> an overview of everything happening in GitHub. What new issues have popped up, just like marking the progress of some of these things. Which is helpful and also sad when I see some like ones I've created, let's say it's like like two hundred <laughs> days old. I'm like, oh yeah. god. <laughs> My um like a pet product idea I have is uh just that like product teams every quarter, every six months should just declare like backlog bankruptcy and just be like everything that's in there, let's just turn the page and start over. Like if it's a good nice. idea, it'll come back. But the stuff that's so old is really depressing when you see it. Yeah. I know, it's so old. That's base camps. A lot of their theory mm-hmm. is like things that are important will come back and just don't even have a backlog. Yeah. I think there's got to be some kind of, not even a happy balance, but for me, like part of the backlog is almost more of like an inspiration board or like a place to put details of ideas or, you know, Mm -hmm. specifics that can be accessed later should they become a priority rather than this idea of this, you know, queue you should be working through with some sort of like, system that's going to tell you, right, what's the best one to focus on. But Mm -hmm. having to think about how we're going to solve this problem from scratch every time Mm -hmm. is not, you get these like ideas, you want to put them somewhere. 
Yep. Yeah, I guess I just view like my personal notes for a lot of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like I have lots of random ideas for user interviews stashed in like my notes. I, I have a side problem of using like more than one note app because I'm an idiot. And so I have to like search everywhere <laughs> to find stuff. But yeah, I don't know. So like, you know what I mean? Like I agree with you. Like you don't want to lose the thinking behind certain things, but having it in like a team place that feels like something you're supposed to manage or maintain is is also like a weird vibe. I don't know what the right yeah. balance is. Yeah. No, totally. Oh, I have that problem right now with our design team in that we have retrospectives like the Boston team every quarter. And so before I was putting all the action items into Trello, but that it just goes there to just just die pretty much. You know, like no one has ownership of anything. No one's checking the board, like myself included, too. So it's just kind of rethinking retros now to be less focused on the action items, which, again, we don't want to add more to people's plates but more of just kind of the spirit of conversation is is the important thing and just figuring out if anything falls out of that. Like, do you do you all have team retrospectives internally? Yeah, and I would take the counterpoint on that one. And I'm curious yeah. to, you know, how you ended up with the, like, forget about the action items because, and maybe you're just at a different, like, sort of company stage than, than we mm. are. But for me, like, most meetings, not all, there's always exceptions. But if that meeting mm. doesn't end with an action item, I mm-hmm. really question why I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, now, and then like, like a podcast is a different thing. For example, like there are interactions with other people where the conversation is the point, right? Mm-hmm. But I we think come part out of, of what makes action items. <laughs> 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 I think um, part of what I like about our retros, and I think what most people like about them is we do kind of zero in on a couple of things that people are not feeling great about and mm-hmm. take action on them. And mm-hmm. when we can point back to when that's happened, people feel like progress is happening in the company and like they have a voice, whereas yeah. it's the ones like we're like always kind of talking about them and like re-optimizing for them or they don't get fixed. Mm-hmm. I think that's where people feel frustrated. So yeah, I'm really curious how you ended up with like, <laughs> forget about this action item thing. <laughs> Well, honestly, with the pandemic, things have just gotten like trying to remove as much overhead and as much cognitive load as possible. And so we still want to talk, though, on on our project based retrospectives working with clients. It's exactly what you said. Like, let's celebrate the joys of this week, but also let's kind of uncover some issues that we want to clear up before moving forward into the next week. But it just, you know, for the retro, it's more about the spirit of getting together and talking as a team. I mean, every week we do chat for an hour. We have like design critique, design share. We're we're reading a book right now, uh, cross-cultural design. But for the retro, I mean, again, just unless there's something that shakes out that's so action-oriented, like fixing a thing here or whatever, like I'll probably take that on. Or if anyone is really interested in taking care of something. Yeah. But I'm trying to just keep it keep it more for the spirit of, of conversation. That makes sense. You don't want to force it. Yeah. I yeah. Do think like half the value of a retro is just getting to like share something that was in your head and like get it out in the wild. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And just like get it off your chest. And like sometimes mm-hmm. it leads to action, which I think is really valuable, especially if there's enough momentum or critical mass behind it. But I think sometimes too, yeah. just like this thing is bugging me and it's kicking around in my head and I get to say my piece and maybe other yeah. everyone else agrees with me. Maybe they don't. But like it's out of my head now, at least, which is like nice. Yeah. Definitely. I think it's also Definitely. more important for that to be the output for those sort of team retrospectives where it is much more uh, interpersonal than the, like a project retrospective where, where there should be mm-hmm. a lot more tasks coming out of that or, or assignments. 
Yeah, we yeah. we do them at sort of two levels. Uh, we have like a company wide one where like everyone you know submits stuff to just like how the company as a whole is going and like how we work together and stuff. And then our different development and like product squads will do smaller ones kind of as a group, which are usually a little bit more about how they work together and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the like the stuff dying and the backlog and all that. There's been a metaphor I heard recently, I forget where I came across it, but uh, it's really stuck in my head. And it's like just comparing it kind of like to gardening. So this notion of it's sort of organic, like stuff kind of pops up and grows and mutates and you kind of like are pruning it and replacing stuff that's getting out of hand. I- I've liked that as a metaphor for like how you think of like improvements or product backlog yeah. stuff of like, we just need to garden it a little bit. We need to like throw out the stuff that's dying and, <laughs> you know, prune the stuff that's getting carried away and like, you know, harvest stuff or whatever. Um, I don't know that much about gardening, so I can't take the, <laughs> the metaphor that far. <laughs> That reminds me, I think we've got an action item, our first action item, which is, has everyone seen Being There? No, what's that? I I had a feeling. You got to watch it. It's uh, germane to the gardening metaphor. It's hilarious. It's with, what is it? Peter Sellers, is that his name? Is it like a show or documentary? It's a movie. Yeah. Peter Sellers, 1979, Being There. Check it out. It's about gardening, but not really. Cool. Thank you for that. Everyone has homework now. I have an ongoing list for every recommendation I ever get, (laughs) whether it's movies, restaurants, books, all that stuff. One of the things that we've been doing for our marketing site, thoughtpot.com, is just creating a message with the ideas tag in Basecamp and just sort of like Mm. letting the sort of energy around that message dictate whether it gets thrown into a task list. What do you mean by like message? Like what's an example? Like having a new feature idea or a new page idea. And so we'll first throw that into a Basecamp message. And if it has traction there, if other people are interested in it. Oh, I see. Yep. yep. They'll they'll naturally comment on it and they'll Mm -hmm. sort of like kick up energy around it. And it'll probably get put into during retros there. We we actively take those messages and create a task list or to-do list based off of that. And people sort of work off of those to-do lists. Mm -hmm. But if there's not, it sort of just starts to get buried naturally. But we still have this like account of everything that happened in Basecamp at some point. So I I feel like it's at a good balance of like both accounting for all of the ideas and things that we, we think of, but also not sort of like organizing this giant backlog of different things that we we want to add to the site. Do you all think like post-COVID, you'll go back to the office like as usual? Or do you think uh, ThoughtBot will stay a little bit more like remote? I know you guys have have like a distributed model with the different offices and stuff, but mm-hmm. is there any talk about that? Or is everyone just like itching to go back or excited to stay home? Or What is post-COVID? <laughs> Uh, that's a good um, I think yeah it's post-democracy so you know it's a whole other set of problems yeah like when the world's over are you guys gonna go back to an office um, no I don't know like when it's safe to be around people mm-hmm. again uh, whenever that is right we don't have an answer for that <laughs> we don't know we're not kind of sort of like I asked that question sort of as a joke mm-hmm. because we're not really sure what'll happen or, or how comfortable we'll feel I think we're mm-hmm. sort of like in this indefinite non-studio phase yeah i'm happy you you asked that actually one little initiative we're doing right now as i mean as far as the boston director team is actually interviewing people who have been leading remote teams even before covid and i want to ask y'all this question 
I have actually a bunch of them, but one of them in terms of burnout, you know, one thing that we granted, this is not normal, quote unquote, normal remote working times, right? There's like a way (laughs) the stress level Mm -hmm. in general is way higher. But one thing that we're running into is this question of burnout. And I was wondering how you all kind of manage that being that, I don't know, you have been in a remote team this whole time. And I don't know, just how's your cadence like? How do you celebrate successes on your team? How do you how do you identify if anyone's struggling? And I don't know, like, what are some things that you do to help prevent that? Yeah, I mean, you, you sort of spoke to it. It's like, it's it's definitely not normal times. Like we had, yeah. I feel like some people on my team directly, like who were really into like co-working spaces or working out of coffee shops yeah. or like that mm-hmm. variety was like something that was like a real perk of our, of our model. Like they got to mingle and network and work in different spaces and stuff. And like, that's just gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. In addition to like feeling stressed cause you can't see your friends or maybe, you know, you're worried about your family or something. And so, absolutely. Yeah. I think the remote stuff is just under a ton of crunch right now from yeah. the broader, like the macro setting. That's like hard to get around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Have y'all always worked on a on a remote team, like even before user interviews? No. And I've always worked at, I mean, everything's tech now, right? But like in tech companies yeah. where I had some remote freedom, whether that was a day a week or as mm-hmm. needed or when I was pregnant or whatever, sure. but never, never a fully remote team. And I do think there are a lot of advantages to being remote first and remote exclusively and remote by choice, <laughs> right? Because you do end up with more of a self-selecting audience who said, this is what I want versus this is what I have to adapt to. So I think mm-hmm. that there are some benefits in our situation to that, but it's become more popular even before COVID. And a lot of what gets talked about when it comes to remote is the the isolation. I think that's like, it seems obvious, of course, but that's something mm-hmm. that a lot of people have a hard time with, like yeah. getting work done, being effective, even finding tools and ways to collaborate, right? Like, yes, there are challenges, but there are so many tools to do all of that now that you can find good solutions for a lot of just, you know, being an effective and efficient person and having the time and flexibility to exercise, to spend time with your family. A lot of things that are great for mental health, right. Come with remote work. However, you are spending eight or whatever hours a day kind of alone physically, um, Mm -hmm. even if you're on Zoom or phone calls or whatever. And I think that is, you know, a different kind and different level of challenge for different people. And I don't think anyone's totally figured it out. I think that we try to have a really kind and humble like culture that is inviting of idiosyncratic personalities, let's say. (laughs) And, and so I, you know, I'm sure people do get burnt out, but I would say that we would, you know, as a group, the just making people feel, you know, included in a group is the place to focus and and not sort of lonely versus burnout. I don't know, Mm -hmm. James, what do you think? No, I agree with all that. I think some of it is like, you just got to try stuff. Like we've, tried lots of different ways to like socialize and kind of mingle and like bring a little of the like office fun, you know, that comes in. Because otherwise, if you're just like, you know, on a serious Zoom call, responding to like a serious email, like your serious business thing, like if it's just all serious business all day, like it, (laughs) it, you do lose some of the soul that comes from like hanging out in an office with people and you get to know people and joke around and stuff. And so like, and it feels weird the first few times you try to do it, you know, over Zoom or other things. So like, we've tried a lot of stuff. And we found, you know, code names online is a game that works pretty well over Zoom. We've had fun doing that. Oh, yeah. We normally get together every like six to eight months for like a big in person retreat for a week, which is like Mm -hmm. a big part of I think, 
keeping some togetherness. And we obviously haven't been able to do that this year. And so we did a virtual retreat, which like shook out a bunch of new socializing Ooh. things. Like we watched Fast and the Furious together and all this like, <laughs> you know, made fun of it in a chat while we watched it. Um, I love that. We, uh, <laughs> we watched we it, it like through Zoom and like <laughs> It was like the worst speed. frame rate. Yeah, probably also like <laughs> so horribly bad. illegal from like whatever streaming <laughs> right, rights. Right. Yeah. And we did uh, an escape room with some company, did like a virtual escape room that was actually pretty sweet, hosted trivia. Like we did we did a bunch of different stuff, like because the yeah. retreat kind of mentality forced us into stuff. And like, I think we'll keep some of those things. And I think finding stuff like that is, is super helpful in a remote team. And it feels awkward. And you got to kind of force it. And like the stuff that doesn't stick, you got to let go. But like, if you just try different things, you'll kind of find stuff that works for the team. Yeah. How big is your team? What are we like 40 right now? Okay. Yeah. I love that watching the, the movie The other thing together. that's a really good tip that I think people uh, don't think of a lot is if you have like a one-on-one or, you know, a three-person meeting, like really ask yourself if it can be a phone call instead of a Zoom and like just mm-hmm. go walk while you're on the call. It's so much, yes. like, it'll make your day seem so much nicer to be outside and like walk for a half hour than be on another video call. And like, you'll get the same amount of stuff done in most cases. Seriously. Yeah. I've taken to doing my one-on-ones just on a phone, phone call. Yep. And we just, even if we want to sit in the room, go for it, but just like no video, like it's, I've been turning it off more often these days for sure. Yeah, I think they both have their value. Obviously, it's if you're not going into an office, having that eye contact or mm-hmm. whatever it is, I looking at eyes through a webcam, whatever you call that, <laughs> you know, that's obviously has value. But I think everyone's so burnt out on Zoom calls all the time, not just for work life, but now also in your personal life, yes. right? It's like, I can't do this all day. So plus one to the phone calls and walking around yeah. for sure. Man, remember this, like the start of like the quarantine, like March or whatever. Uh, oh my God. And just everyone wanted to do a Zoom call like every night all of a sudden. I know, <laughs> like, totally. It was like friends I'd see like maybe twice a year and it'd be like our third Zoom call in like two weeks. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? Like, we don't even normally hang out in normal that. times. Right. Yes, yeah. I was just thinking that. And that seems like so long ago. I mean, <laughs> yeah. talk about like starting out the gate, like sprinting, you know? Yeah, everyone came I on mean, real hot with video. Yeah. Seriously. Like, real. I got, I have, you know, Steam, I have the Jackbox, I got all the, the collections of Jackbox games, like, ready to go. I feel like and it died like, quick, though. It really oh, it, fast. It, it plummeted. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was like we had the video call era, then there was the Tiger King era, and then like there was like a lot of like little markers. I would love to see that visualization. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that was yeah. the same time because I moved around a lot during COVID. We um me and my family, we drove to Chicago uh like the middle of March and lived there for four months. But the first three weeks we quarantined in a friend's house, an empty yeah. house, and we did Zoom calls all the time and watched Tiger King. So I, <laughs> I am sure that that was the same time, you know, that first few weeks. Totally. It's all been the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's been the part that's, that's hard to just untangle from all the work stuff is, you know, I've really liked working from home um, you know, in the before times. But like I live up in Salem, Massachusetts, and like there were different places where I could walk and get lunch. And I have some friends who work in different businesses in town. We'd meet up. Or I'd go for runs after work with people and grab a beer and like just losing all that. Like it's like, oh, I have like no socialization now. You know what I mean? And that's just such a unique wrinkle of of how people are working remotely now. That's that's hard to account for. Have you guys been to any networking events like remote in these remote times? Uh, I don't. (laughs) I actually have. (laughs) Think so. (laughs) It wasn't a networking event. It was a conference uh, that had a Mm, networking aspect to it. How was it? It was actually really nice. Only from the perspective of like, I talk to people I don't think I would have talked to in real life. So the the yeah. way that it worked was there was a 10 minute 
random call with a person. Mm. And the 10 minute timeline was really nice. And the randomness of it was also really nice. And it was also nice to talk to like people that I probably would have never, like outside of my group of friends and coworkers and people I would have never yeah. talked to. Yeah, that's cool. Who are from a different either country or just the other side of the yeah. yeah. There is something really democratizing about the whole thing where like mm-hmm. we're you know, in the case of COVID, everyone's got a new like baseline of kind of crappiness, right? That no one asked for this. And so it's all it's a leveling moment mm-hmm. in yeah. life. And I think having to communicate through these digital formats does you know, like if you're going to do a talk to a random person in person, kind of, you can do that, but it's more awkward in a way, right? You got to like organize it and get everybody there. Whereas mm-hmm. you can just, I don't know. I, I do think there are some positives. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. more video call literate now too. So it's like, doesn't mm-hmm. feel as uh, mm-hmm. awkward to hop on and talk to a stranger as like it probably would have, you know, before. Yeah. That's so true. That's, we're all starting at the same. Yeah. I feel like everyone's a lot more forgiving as well. Like, I have a crazy household of kids and dogs and inevitably, like, a dog will bark or a kid will come barging in. And it feels like that's a lot more acceptable now than uh, when I worked from home in the past. It was more cringeworthy. Yeah, Yeah, no, I like that part a lot. Uh, We we had some yesterday, or last week, um, their cat was walking around in frame and we're like, oh, hey, what's up? You know, it was really cute. And then all of a sudden, they just dropped off the video call. And we're like, oh, the no. cat definitely hung up with Zoom, right? <laughs> and when they joined a few minutes later, it was like 100% what happened. It was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I also went to um, a networking event after a conference. It was using Remo. Have you guys used Remo? No, what's that one? Before. Um, it actually puts people in what looks like tables. So you have, you like join like a table and you see little avatars like sitting around a mm. table. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like approaching, you know, just people. Yeah. So I, it's, I also thought it was really nice, which is surprising. I don't know why it's just already, cause right. I'm just so burnt out with video calls in general, but it was kind of cool. I mean, the weird thing though, is that, you know, when you join a group of five people, usually you kind of splinter off three and two or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when you join and you're talking, like no one else can talk. <laughs> it's like right. kind of weird. <laughs> so everyone's just like staring at your video and you're like, oh my God, <laughs> this is so awkward. But it actually turned out to be eventually okay. You get you get the hang of it. I do wish Zoom was better at handling like people talking over one another because like it, it really doesn't like handle the audio well or something. And it feels like it's you lose a whole dynamic of like, you know, in-person conversations. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you like look at the screen full of eyeballs, just like when we do our stand ups in the morning with our team, there's like 15, 16 people in one call and doing a quick like hello. So it's always like kind of a weird moment when you're talking and you just realize that there's like so many tiles of people just staring at you. <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, we were talking about like cultural touchstones over the course of, and I, you know, it's a heavy time, right? There's a, a yeah. lot of heavy stuff going on in the world beyond COVID. Mm-hmm. When it first hit, we kind of pivoted a lot of what we were working on as a company to try to survive and thrive and that's worked pretty well for us so i think we're Mm. we're happy to be doing well when a lot of companies have struggled which is exciting for what we get to work on now but one of the things we've been focused on is diversity and inclusion across kind of everything we can think of that we could research and have an impact on so everything from hiring within our company to really taking a hard look at our product and how does it 
promote or not promote inclusivity and unconscious bias and things like that. We've been mm. bringing more diverse pool of guests onto our podcast. And, you know, I don't say any of that to toot our own horn, but it's been a real, you know, kind of positive reckoning that we're trying to take seriously and feeling good about the work we're trying to do there. Having a diverse and inclusive product for what user interviews is, I think is, is incredibly important. I would be interested, mm -hmm. like, what have y'all changed or what have you rethought? Uh, are there any specifics you could give us? We haven't made a ton of changes in the product yet. Uh, we did some analysis to figure out like if we were seeing any biases across like who is getting approved or selected for projects, you know, in a in a material way. So that was like a first step. We didn't see anything that looked jarring or you know significant. So that was like a nice first step. And then we've started to just identify areas where we're probably making just kind of obvious missteps. Like I think a good example is you know around race. We let people obviously write in. Uh, however, they'd like to identify in addition to some structured options mm. in that field is like labeled other, you know what I mean, which is a very charged word in that context. Mm. And so just like reframing that uh, to make sure that people can still, you know, enter whatever they would like, but but do it in a, a friendly or more inviting way is um, stuff like that has started to bubble up as things we need to address. And we're planning to make some investments in those types of areas going forward. But we also want to make sure that like when we do those things, we actually go out and talk to the right affected users because uh, we don't want to just like assume we know best on a topic like mm -hmm. that. So there's a little bit of, um, you know, research and legwork we need to do. Yeah. We've also been sharing that data with our researchers. You know, if you want it, tell us and we'll send it to you because it's we don't have it productized yet and have gotten a really good response to that where I would love to know if you made it easy for me to know. And maybe it's not something people were thinking about across all their studies, right? I know a lot of researchers within a given study will look to make sure they have responsible or representative sampling of, of who they want to be talking to. But across all of your research, when you add it up, what does that look like? Mm. So it's been good to be able to, to share that out as well. Yeah, you guys must have so much data. Oh my God. I, we absolutely. <laughs> we got quant. We got qual. Like, what do you want? Oh, we got it. Wow. Yeah. We at ThoughtBot, I mean, we absolutely love your product. We use it whenever we can, mostly all the time, whenever we have to do user <laughs> research, user interviews, for sure. It's just when it came out and like when we first started using it years ago, it was just like, oh my God, really? This is amazing. This is too good to be true. <laughs> like so happy. We should have had that up front. We should have had yeah, that yeah, it, qualifier. No, it's, it's, it's always so encouraging to hear because like, you know, we see the numbers and we see all these positive trends and stuff, but like at least on the product side, I'm sure you two might feel similarly is like, you just see all the problems with the thing yet. You know what I mean? Because you work mm -hmm. on it all day and you're like, oh, this could be better. This could be better. This could be better. So it is nice to get the zoomed out. Like, oh, this is helping people. <laughs> people like this. Oh, you know what so I mean? Helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Y'all want to give a quick elevator pitch as to what user interviews is for yeah. those. Aaron, you're know. the marketer, so I'm going to let you. <laughs> you built the product. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. 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 You know, we, we help connect researchers with participants to do any kind of research they want to do. And on top of that, we help with your research logistics. So if you want to uh, schedule pay, screen your participants if you want to do that for your own participants. We function as a sort of CRM for that. And so that's kind of what we do. But obviously, over time, we're building on that value proposition and really trying to be that kind of logistics layer in all of the research you want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, recently, we've as a growth team, we are about to launch our first two integrations, which we're super excited about. 
I shouldn't say our first two. We've been integrated with Google Calendar and Outlook Calendar for quite a while, but we're launching with Zoom, speaking of Zoom. Um, And then we're also going to a white label with document signing provider to make it much easier to get your various documents signed as part of your workflow. That's so exciting. Yeah, we you know internally we kind of say the company mission is to help teams discover and embrace user insights, and we've come up yeah. with a, an emoji translation of that same mission. So you can you can say it all in emojis, which is nice. And then um, <laughs> yeah, and you all just recently released um, like the UX research flex stack as well. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. You can check that out on our you know website slash UX research flex stack. I think there's some hyphens in there, so beware of that. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we we are very excited about this. I think we're basically trying to put something out there that is an alternative to a very expensive all-in-one solution for UX mm-hmm. research, not naming any names. But you know, with a lot of those solutions, you're paying for something maybe you don't need, maybe parts of it are best in class for something, but not for other things. And so the idea of the UX Research Flex stack is that you can really select the tools you actually need to do your research, um, and they all work seamlessly together, and you're going to get what you really need for a better price. So yeah, we think it's a compelling alternative. That's cool. That's great. Congrats. I always get excited when I see new product updates, emails. Looking forward to more. You got big fans over here. So we're really happy to have you. It's a fun product to work on. We have uh, we have a lot of cool users on both sides of the platform that are um, super helpful in terms of giving us input on on what they need help with and where the current experience is confusing and stuff like that. So we're we're very fortunate in that regard. Yeah. Do you guys have a a way to collect feedback from users? Is there like a form that you like? How, how does that work? Yeah, we do a couple things. We play around a lot in the background with a product board. Uh, we divide the world into like passive and active insights is how we tend to refer to stuff. And so. Mm-hmm. Passive insights are things that just kind of make their way to us, right? They came up in a sales conversation or a customer support back and forth or whatever. Mm-hmm. And in that exchange was something useful or some good nugget for like the product team or the, you know something about the UX. And we pull all that stuff up in product board so that we can like organize it and look for trends. And uh, it's also cool because it keeps the comments attached to who said it. So then if we do end up releasing an update in that Ooh. area, we can grab all the emails and follow up with them and be like, hey, we now have this um, or we made a change here. Curious to see what you think. Nice. So that's where we do a lot of the uh, passive stuff. And there's a way to submit ideas to that, too, through um, like a roadmap portal we have on the website. And then, you know, we also just do a ton of our own research. So we call that more of like the active side, whether it's discovery Mm. or evaluative, like going out and deliberately talking to people about certain topics to actively, you know, collect insights in a certain area. Some combination of those two things, plus all the quant data is kind of like what we lean on most. Cool. I mean, you have the tool to do it. So that's, (laughs) that's awesome. (laughs) Should we do a good, the bad, the ugly? (laughs) Yes. Ooh, Ooh, that sounds fun. Yes. What do we got here? The good. The bad. (laughs) And the ugly. (laughs) So what is the good about communicating through emoji? (laughs) They're visual and people are visual. (laughs) And, you know, pictures (laughs) worth a thousand words. And everyone loves them and they make people happy. And like my mom uses them now and it's hilarious. And I just, I think they keep things light and, you know, I love words. I have a major in literature. I I love words, love them. But I think emojis add a little levity to a world that could use it. 
I yeah, I, I think that all makes sense to me. I mean, like they're modern day hieroglyphics, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. you got a lot of detail in there. Um, I think it just it lets you communicate a little bit more nuance or tone that you can't always get through like words alone. You know what I mean? So if you're trying to be a little sarcastic, you can throw the wink at the end or something, and and people kind of get it and read it the right way. So totally, I think that little extra like context or or vibe that you can put on a message is is helpful, uh, so people interpret it the right way. Okay, what's the bad about communicating through emoji? That all the different providers have their own icons for them. Ugh, like that it's not a standard so set. Annoying. That like the way it looks on my phone might be different than your phone or like, it's silly. Like we should just. <laughs> and to make it worse, they have different like text shortcuts, whatever you call that. So like, do you type oh, pray yeah. or thanks to get the like cans that are yeah. together? Yeah. I can never find a lightning bolt. <laughs> yeah. Cause right. It's frustrating. Yeah. It is funny though. This relationship between text and emoji when like emojis replacing text, but you got to use text yes. to find the emoji. Oh my goodness. Kind of yeah, yeah. A great Mac app is uh, Rocket, if anyone uses that. It's like a little like menu bar utility thing that lets you do like the Slack style emoji across your whole Ooh. computer. So hit colon and start typing. It's, uh, it's pretty nice. 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 Yeah. Thank you. And then finally, what's the ugly about communicating through emoji? So that's like worse than bad. <laughs> it's whatever. <laughs> you don't really yeah. define these. It's, it's all right. I, I got one. I got one. Definition. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. I think as you know, in a few more years, as I continue to get older and I continue to be less tuned in to what is cool and trends and stuff, I'm definitely going to use emojis that are like have become like you know have a secret meaning, and I won't know the secret meaning. Oh my goodness! And I'm going to look like a fool. You know what I mean? Like the peach right now, <laughs> right? Is like people have like yes. certain connotations with it, right. and that's gonna I'm going to get burned by that someday for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good answer. I mean, <laughs> that's already happening to me. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I probably, I probably don't even know. It's like, you, know you don't know what you don't know. Um, yeah. I've definitely thought the eggplant was a few different things. In my <laughs> I've also seen my parents or uh, my wife's parents use like the joy icon. They just see the like tears mm. and they mm-hmm. use it in the wrong context. <laughs> so it's- yeah. And you can never quite tell if people are like being funny and like it's intentional or they just don't know what they're doing. And it's, like, uh, <laughs> it's like, who's not in, in the joke, me or you? Cause yeah. like this is, yeah. yeah, the emoji spam where it's like, like how many hashtags is too many? If you get a text message with like 35 emojis, let's say, it becomes like the exclamation point thing where it's like you really don't have to end every sentence with an exclamation point. Too much emoji, emoji level too much is ugly. <laughs> I agree. I, I had a friend who only communicated basically through emoji. And I, right. after a while, I was like, I can't. I don't know. What, what are I'm you doing. talking about? Yeah. I know. Yeah. Like, okay, smirk face. Got it. Okay, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah. But. I wish the iMessage stuff let you do the tap backs with just any emoji. I don't know why they had to make that their own little, like, Agreed. truncated yes. uh, icon set. What a, what a silly choice. Yeah. If we're still figuring it out, my boy, <laughs> there's so much to figure out. But I'm glad that <laughs> we got to the tip of the iceberg at this point. I also, P.S., um, I love how you all have documentation on your custom emoji. I think <laughs> Topot, we should do that. We have like 500 different. Yeah, that would take <laughs> forever. so much custom emoji. Yeah, it's ours so is, not, uh, is not exhaustive. What do we have in here? Oh we have like God. five or six documented, but we probably have like a gazillion custom yeah. ones. So we're a little light on the documentation <laughs> ratio. 
The, the best one is Tide Pod because like, would it make sense <laughs> next year? Cause like, what are Tide Pods? Remember there was a period where people were like eating them or whatever. Yes. And that was at some point when I, you know, in the last three years and someone decided like you give someone a Tide Pod if they like screw something up, but mostly you'd like do it to yourself. Right. Cause it's like, yes. wants to be a jerk. So it's <laughs> oh like Tide God. Pod me. So that's definitely the best, the best one. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. The yeah. Tide Pod so is great. Yeah. Anyway, I we should wrap I'm, things up. We should stop talking. <laughs> I know it's so hard. I like talking to you guys. This <laughs> has been an awesome episode of Tentative. You can check out our show notes at tentative.fm. You can tweet at us at tentative.fm. You can email us at hosts at tentative.fm. JH and Aaron, how can people get in touch with y'all? I am JH Forster on Twitter or LinkedIn or most places. You can probably find me through that handle somewhere. I'm Aaron H as in hot dog, May, uh, which you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, things like that. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. This was great. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was fun. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.